All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit of Podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by a lively a Jackie lively Mitchell. lively Jackie Mitchell. <laughs> I say that because you just told just me how yawned. tired you were all morning. I just yawned and told him he had to wait until I took another sip of coffee to start. But recording. guess what? We are here. It's true. On a beautiful day in sunny Columbus, Ohio. Mm, what I mean maybe. by that is that there's zero sun coming to you live. From the 514 live. Church Production Studios. It's not live. It's nor, not live. Nor is this a production studio. This is Jared's but office. <laughs> we are, but we are living the podcast life. And so this is episode 33. And I'm just going to lay the cards out on the table here. Here he goes. Uh, when we hit 20 episodes, we became one percenters. I think we talked about this before. Oh, you think we talked about this and before? And when we hit the 30 club, we became even more elite. So you say. And our ascendancy continues. And so now we're actually hitting the 20th chapter of the Bible. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which is another milestone, another celebration, probably more champagne and caviar for Jackie, not for me because I'm righteous and godly, <laughs> but here we are. And Jackie, all I, if I remember correctly, all of our haters said that we couldn't do it. You remember that? Oh. You remember the ops? <laughs> they all said, they all said this. I remember they said, you, you can't, remember this? you can't take 33 episodes to get through 20 <laughs> chapters of the Bible. You just can't do it. But here we are. We did it. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, look, all right, I'm done bragging for the day. I do for this, the day. I do this like every other week about the podcast, but it's time to get going. So we just calm down, Jackie, and let's, let's, let's go <laughs> with this I'll stop celebrating. Thing. Today, we're going to talk about another interaction with a wicked king. Mm-hmm. And so this is Abimelech. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it can be pronounced Abimelech, but I'm going to say Abimelech. He's the king of Gerar. And we will see some parallels with another story that we've already read. And so Abraham is going to say... Uh, again, that Sarah is his sister and she's going to get taken and yeah. God's going to deliver them again. And so uh, we're, we're going to get into it. Uh, before we do that, if you enjoy this podcast, please give us a rating, subscribe and share if you find this podcast interesting or helpful or elite. Oh. Go ahead and share, post on your social <laughs> media, send an episode to a friend or family member. Uh, we are here as a resource, and I think that that what we are doing has the potential to be helpful for people who want to learn how to read the Bible. Yeah. So, uh, with that, that brief introduction, yeah. <laughs> let's get into the story. We'll read one and two. One and two. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. All right, so if we remember back in Genesis 12, the initial call of Abraham promised salvation to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. right? Salvation to their nations. That's, that's 12.3, Genesis 12.3. And so in Genesis 12, Abraham begins to take dominion over the, the land, kind of like a shadow dominion as he sets up altars to Yahweh all up and down the land. And then he descends to Egypt due to famine. Mm-hmm. And he's oppressed by Pharaoh who takes Sarah, who he says is his sister. And then he's delivered by God out of Egypt in an exodus. Mm-hmm. And then he goes back into the land and reestablishes dominion by setting up the altars all over again to, to Yahweh. Yeah. And so here we have almost an exact parallel story, right? Right. And so this is kind of interesting um, in terms of, of biblical theology. So the Philistines, this is, this is Gerar. This is the, the mm-hmm. Philistines. Um, the, the Philistines come from the line of Egypt. Mm, so okay. if you read the table of nations, Genesis 10, it says that Mitzrayim, which is Egypt becomes the father of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. So the Philistines are, are descendants of Egypt. So they're mm-hmm. technically Egyptians. 
So there's another parallel, right? Yeah. Because the first the first time it happened, it was in Egypt. The Egyptians. Yeah. And so here it's also the Egyptians. It's just in the the land of of the Philistines in Gerar. So then when you look back at the definition of the land that God would give to Abraham's descendants, it actually doesn't extend all the way down to Gerar. Oh, okay. So this is in this is like southwest of Jerusalem. And when the people that the Israelites are supposed to display, so you remember all the shites mm-hmm. the, or the ites? Yeah. The, the Girgashites and yeah. the Jebusites yeah. and the, you know, all, all the, all the ites, the Philistines aren't mentioned. Okay. So once again, Abraham technically finds himself outside of the promised land mm-hmm. under an Egyptian king because right. the Philistines are Egypt from the line of Egypt. And this is where the trouble starts once again. Yeah. And this was, you know, promised by God. And I think that this is actually interesting. I think I have this correct. When God cuts the covenant with, uh, by himself with Abraham in, in Genesis 15, he has this weird line in there about how for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country that's not their own. Mm-hmm. And they will be enslaved and mistreated. And so you can pretty readily associate that with Egypt and the Exodus that we'll see next book. But when you read that story, I actually think that it, it kind of, I think it says that the people are enslaved by Egypt in that, way for like 200 years. Okay. So what's this 400 years? Well, I think that maybe the oppression of Egypt starts here. Mm. That's like kind of an interesting way to read this because the Philistines have Egyptian origin. And so going forward, there's going to be oppression in foreign lands and then there'll be the cycle of temporary relief and then further oppression for about 400 years, just Mm -hmm. like God said when he Mm -hmm. cut the covenant with Abraham. So the first question that doesn't really seem to be explained here is why did Abraham move? Yeah. So in terms of reading the story, what, what, what do you think? Why, why did Abraham leave the Oaks of Mamre? Well, we talked about this a little bit last episode, but it seems like he saw the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And to some extent, that meant that, you know, his habitat, his home was destroyed. Yeah. Or at least the resources available near him, right? Right. So this is an area where you would have to, I mean... To some degree, you're farming, but you also have to gather materials, yeah, right? And trade, and yeah, oh, that's a good point. Right? Trade, yeah. They're all gone. They're all gone. I mean, the Jordan's destroyed. Yeah, you know, the Valley of the Jordan's salt now, and so at least temporarily, that's going to change the place where where Abraham lives. Yeah, certainly. And so, just like with the famine, he and his family have to move. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably a good hypothesis, and that's why it was mentioned that Abraham looked down from the mountain and saw the smoke rising from Sodom yeah. last chapter. And so nonetheless, they move southwest to Gerar, land of the Philistines, a foreign land Mm -hmm. uh, where the people there and the king there is from the line of Egypt. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Abraham tells Abimelech, the king, the same thing that he told Pharaoh for the same reason. He says that Abraham is, uh, Abraham is, uh, is, is Sarah's brother, which we're going to see here later. It's not really a lie. Yeah. Uh, And, and the brother is supposed to be in charge of the sister. And so a righteous person would come to him if he wanted Sarah, who's his sister, Hmm. Uh, just like we saw with Pharaoh. And Hmm. so if Abraham doesn't want Sarah to go to Abimelech, then Abimelech comes to Abraham and Abraham comes up with a reason why she can't. Yeah, that was culturally the norm, right? Right. But Abimelech is not righteous. And so just like Pharaoh, he sees what he wants and he takes it. Hmm. Just like Pharaoh did, just like Eve did in the garden, and just like David's going to do with Bathsheba, right? That idea of seeing what's good and taking it apart from the wisdom of God is wickedness. He just sends people to go get her. It says, yeah, no conversation with yeah. Abraham. No, no, uh, you know, no, no negotiations, no, 
anything. He just takes her because he doesn't he's the ask king. her either. Yeah. No one's talking to anyone. He's the king. He just sends for her. Like why why can't why wouldn't I have her? Right. Right. Mm. Um and so let's so let's read uh three through seven. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And didn't she also say he is my brother? I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and let you live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. So God appears to Abimelech and says, you're a dead man. Yeah. Because the woman that you took is married. Mm. And so one of the things that you see here that's actually kind of interesting is that there's some level of confession here from Abimelech. Mm. There's a response to God that's very different than the response that say Pharaoh is going to give to Moses. All right. So when Moses comes and says, you know, I'm, uh, I'm representing Yahweh. You need to let his people go. Yeah. Pharaoh's going to say, who's Yahweh? Yeah. Why should I care about that? Right. But Abimelech comes face to face with God. A little bit of a different situation, but he does confess. And he calls him Lord. He calls him Lord and he says he never touched her. Yeah. Right. Which is, which is technically true. He, he, he says he didn't go anywhere near her. So he didn't sleep with her. And so he has not committed adultery. Right. Now I would argue that he's not totally innocent because he seized her. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, which, which uh, he didn't come and talk to Abraham and, and, you know, she doesn't belong to him. And yet he took her like they take the fruit in the garden. Right. Yeah. So, so God says, you're welcome for preventing you from doing this terrible thing. And then he says that Abraham's a prophet. Yeah. And that he'll pray for you and you might live. So we, we mentioned this last time, but what we'll see in the Bible is that the prophet is, a, it's an office mm-hmm. that God grants to certain people. And the prophet is the one who has access to the divine council, mm. access to the throne room of God, access to conversations with God. And so the priestly work that a prophet, uh, of, of a prophet as we move forward is exactly that. The prophet speaks with God, has things revealed by God because the prophet is invited into the divine council uh, and then tells those things to the people, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, if you remember two chapters ago, Abraham is invited by God to participate in the conversation about the judgment of Sodom. Mm-hmm. So in the most literal technical sense of the word prophet, that this is what he is. Mm-hmm. He's a prophet, yeah. right? And this is the pattern of the prophets going forward. And so when the, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah or any of the other prophets in the Bible, as we move forward, that's what it means. Mm-hmm. It means that in some like mystical way, they're transported into the divine council and they participate with God in his blessings and his judgments. Mm-hmm. And so when they come and they tell the people, this is what God has said, this is what you must do they speak with the authority of God because they were just standing in his throne room in his presence, right? And so because of Abraham's invitation into that, he is a prophet. Mm. Now now here, there appears to be this uh, potential of intercession. Yeah, Abraham will pray for you. Mm -hmm. You will live. So Yahweh doesn't say, uh, if you do what I'm telling you to do right now, you'll live. Mm. He said, you have to do what I'm telling you to do. And then Abraham will pray for you and then you'll live. Yeah, that's wild. It's kind of interesting, right? So if you remember a couple of chapters ago, Abraham has already done this. He interceded yes. already. Yeah. Right? What'd he do? 
he talked to God about Sodom and about if there were righteous people there, mm-hmm. would he spare them? He basically hypothetically came up with righteous people in Sodom and interceded for them. Yeah. Right? And so he's already done this. And when we go forward in the story, the people of God are going to worship a golden calf. And then what's Moses going to do? Because mm, God says, I'm going to kill these people. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I'm going to judge these yeah, people for exactly. their wickedness. Yeah. And Moses says, don't, please. I'll, I, I want to intercede right. for them. Yeah. John the Baptist is a prophet. Yeah. And he's baptizing people in the Jordan River, mm, forgiving mm-hmm. them of their sins in the name of God. He's interceding for them mm-hmm. as, as a prophet. And so this is what you see here. He, Abraham, will pray for you and you will live. Mm. Now, the end of this section, uh, it, it ends with, if you do not return her, you can be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Yeah. Which is a fine translation, but but the actual Hebrew is, if you do not return her, you and all that you, uh, all who are with you will surely die. Will surely die. What does that sound like? Genesis 3. <laughs> yeah. If you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. Yeah. And so if you do not return Sarah to Abraham, you shall surely die. Mm. So you start to see this language connect again. Let's do uh, eight through 10. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done these things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Abimelech has just seen Yahweh. And in a way, he's just seen the angel of death. Sure, yeah. Because the the angel of judgment, right? Because death is the threat if he doesn't change, if he doesn't uh, make restitution for, for what he's done to God's blessed one. So the new day dawns, right? Remember that? Mm-hmm. The, the day of the Lord where there can be blessing or there can be curses depending on the mm-hmm. response. Mm-hmm. Uh, and repentance and new life is possible for Abimelech even though he's been acting tyrannical. Yeah, even though he took something that wasn't his. Yeah, that's what tyrants do. Yeah. And that is evil and that is bad. And God will judge that. And yet here he is offered a chance for repentance. And Abimelech does what Adam and Eve do in the garden and what Pharaoh did in Genesis 12. Mm. He blames someone else. Yeah. (laughs) Right? He says to Abraham, why did you lie to me? Why why did you do this to Mm. me? And if you remember that conversation with Pharaoh uh, back in Genesis 12, um. Pharaoh says the same thing. And the answer to that question is because you would have killed me mm-hmm. if you wanted her and I was her husband. As her brother, right. you're supposed to come and talk to me. But as her husband, if you wanted her, you can't have her unless I die. Yeah, so, so you would have just killed, killed me. me. And same, it's the same answer here. But of course, Abimelech is acting like he can't believe that Abraham lied what? to him. I wouldn't or, do that. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. then, so then Abraham actually responds to this, to, <laughs> to this accusation mm-hmm. in 11 through 13. Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham uh, answers honestly and correctly, right? Hmm. He says, there is no fear of God in this place. And that's true. Yeah, that's true. And he says, I thought you would kill me to have my wife, which is also true. Probably true, yeah. And so Abimelech is repentant now, but only because he saw the vision of God where God threatened sure death upon him, right? Yeah. 
So it's it's kind of like when people like if you have a child, but this is true of adults too. You you get really sorry and repentant when you get caught. Yeah. But if it's something you've been doing for years and no one caught you, didn't seem so sorry really. about it then, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there was no fear of God, but now this has happened. And guess what? This is the grace of God. Now mm-hmm. there is fear of God, mm-hmm. right? This is conversion. This is repentance. And so even though Abimelech hasn't responded exactly correctly because he kind of blames Abraham, uh, we're going to see the rest of his response here. And uh, the Bible is going to make it clear that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, the Psalms will say that. Yeah. So there is no fear of God in this place. So mm-hmm. I didn't trust you to act righteously. Well, now we're starting to see some, some fear of God. And Abraham says, you know, technically I didn't lie to you. She's my half sister. Sarah is my half sister, which, yeah. was, which was more common than, than uh, at this time, just because that's like when you live in small clans, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's more of, of, of a reality. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, it's the custom that the brother's supposed to handle the sister's business. So I presented it like this to protect her. And so, uh, I actually think, again, that Abraham is acting righteously. Mm. Um, remember, Adam was supposed to protect Eve in the garden from this shadowy, evil creature, mm-hmm. the serpent, right? mm-hmm. but he doesn't. And so here, I think Abraham is trying to do that. Mm. Uh, I don't know if he's acting intelligently, mm. right? Because this already didn't work once. Yeah, this right? is it's true. Like, like he had a one test play. run of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I'll just do it again. It'll probably be fine. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got one move. Yeah. And so uh this already didn't work. But but again, like you go into a kingdom that's powerful where there is no fear of God and your options are limited. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you say she's my wife, you're probably gonna die. Well, the promises of God are supposed to go through you. Yeah. And so there is self-preservation here, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And according to the custom, if uh, Abimelech is righteous, then he would come and talk to the brother and then maybe he could protect her. But that that's not what happened because right. Abimelech wasn't right. righteous. So then, okay, um, how does Abimelech make restitution mm-hmm. for this, right? So, so let's see if the fear of the Lord is actually upon him. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Hmm. So upon repentance, Abimelech not only gives Sarah back to Abraham, but he also gives spoils. Yeah, yeah. And so this is a sign of repentance, right? Restitution is part of the process. And so uh, in this action from Abimelech, there seems to be true confession and true conversion. Um, when this happened with Pharaoh in Genesis 12, he does give spoils. Yeah, it's true. But he kicks Abraham out. Yeah. And so here, it's it's very different. Here, Abimelech gives spoils, gives Sarah back, and then he asks Abraham to stay. Live wherever you like here. Yeah. Um, when Joseph goes and blesses Egypt and his brothers come and join him, uh, uh, Pharaoh's going to say, have live wherever you want, have the mm. land of Goshen, which was like the most fertile land in mm-hmm. Egypt. Right. So this is, this is kind of a foreshadowing of that. Uh, and he gives Sarah silver and he says, this is a covering. Mm. And so this is his attempt to make restitution for a sin. And in repentance, this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So 
um, you start to see this theme here where uh, Abimelech responds in a way that if you're wicked and God offers you salvation, you have an opportunity to respond. Yeah. Even in your wickedness. He doesn't respond like Pharaoh. He doesn't respond like Cain and Cain's Mm -hmm. offspring. He doesn't respond like Pharaoh later in the book of Exodus. He doesn't respond like Saul when Saul gets in trouble with God, right? Mm -hmm. He responds with actual repentance. He is converted. And so Abraham is allowed now to live in the land because if Abimelech now has fear of the Lord, he wants the Lord's prophet around. Yeah, certainly. So remember, Lot separated, and that was bad news. Here, Abimelech, in his repentance, wants union. Yeah, he's like cleaving to He's like, please don't leave. Yeah. If you're the prophet of the God that just appeared to me in a dream, <laughs> please stay here. Yeah. Pray for me and um, bring, bring blessing to, to, to this place. Yeah. So then let's read the last, the last couple of verses, uh, 17 through 18. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so that they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Abraham does what prophets do mm-hmm. and he intercedes for, for Abimelech. And apparently the plague that God had put on Abimelech, uh, which was that the wombs of, of his household were closed uh, which it didn't mention before, but but it's clarified here. Apparently that plague has been lifted. Right. So one of the things that we have to talk about here is the idea of um, the, the serpent having conflict with the woman and the seed. Mm-hmm. And so remember that that was the curse, that childbearing would be difficult and that there would be enmity between you and the serpent, he says to, to, the, to woman. the woman. Yeah. And there will be enmity between you your seed and his. Yeah. So everything that we've talked about so far with Abraham and Sarah has to do with the seed, Mm. the righteous seed. And so these stories are to some degree, when we look through the spirit aspect of our hermeneutic, these are stories of spiritual warfare. These are stories of Satan having enmity with the woman and the seed of the woman, right? Sure. Yeah. So uh, this was always Satan's goal because this is one of the reasons why he tempts Eve. He, he wants to raise up ungodly seed through the bride. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, in, in our reality today, this is why he attacks us and our children. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to use the bride of, of God to raise up his own children. Mm-hmm. So when Pharaoh tries to get rid of all the male babies in Exodus, he keeps the female babies. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, so they can marry Egyptians and become opposed to God as well. Yeah, wow. Right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't just wipe out everybody. He does commit genocide in the way of getting rid of the, the, the boys, but the girls are supposed to be assimilated into the ungodliness, mm-hmm. into the rebellion against Yahweh, because that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to raise up ungodly seed uh, through, through the bride. And so... Um, this event here happens about three months before Sarah is going to conceive. Mm-hmm. And Satan knows this because there's the prophecy that, that God gave to Abraham. He said, this time next year, you will conceive. Yeah. So he says to Sarah and Abraham a couple chapters ago. So then there's this whole episode with Sodom and Gomorrah and, and you kind of trace the timeline and we're probably about three months from this time next year, right? Mm-hmm. From, from that coming about. And so... Um, Sarah's going to get pregnant in three months. And so what does that mean for Satan? Mm, Not good. 
Yeah, it means he's got three months. Yeah. To to try to un, until the seed will come uh, through Sarah that will crush the serpent's head. Yeah, so he's trying to stop this from happening Absolutely. altogether. Yeah. So there's two ways that God can deal with these kinds of attacks. Okay. There's only two options mm-hmm. when it comes to evil. There can be destruction of, let's just say, the tyrant or the the wicked one through whom Satan is working. Mm-hmm. So this is what we see in Sodom. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're going to see in Egypt, in the Exodus. Sure. Egypt gets yeah. destroyed and Pharaoh gets destroyed, right? Or there's conversion of the tyrant through repentance. Mm-hmm. So if Satan's working through Abimelech and Abimelech is converted to Yahweh, well, now Satan's plan has been changed. Yeah. Right? If Satan is working through Abimelech and Abimelech is destroyed, now it's been changed, right? Yeah. So these Great are the point. two ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting thing about conversion is that uh, God gives Pharaoh in Exodus like 10 chances. A lot of chances, yeah. Right? And sometimes we get squeamish about the fact that the judgment came upon the Egyptians the way that it did. But what about the fact that God was moving slowly while genocide was being committed against the, the, the Israelites? Yeah. I mean, he's just, Moses is wandering up to Pharaoh over and over again, giving him chance after chance after chance yeah. and babies are being killed, yeah. right? So even that is like, why is God doing that? And the reason is because God is gracious and long suffering mm. and he is merciful and he does prefer repentance. Mm-hmm. So when the Israelites go into the promised land, they conquer the Canaanites. Well, there's two options for the Canaanites, right? They can convert and worship Yahweh and be included in the brotherhood of Israel, or they can continue to oppose Yahweh and they'll be destroyed. Yeah. Right? Um, last chapter, the, the angels went to Sodom to see what it was like. And there's moments there where repentance could happen. And they're adjacent to Lot, who in some way is righteous. righteous. They don't repent. And so there's destruction. But the opportunity for repentance is always there. Correct. Jonah is mad that he has to go preach the gospel because he's afraid that they're going to repent. He knows God. He knows God will let them repent. And he's like, look, you should destroy these people. He's like, don't give them the chance to repent. And don't give up on us. If you remember that episode, like it felt like God was going to disown them Mm -hmm. and jump over to Nineveh. Mm -hmm because that was something in, in Deuteronomy. Um, and, and instead, uh, exactly what God, the way that God likes to operate is what happens in that story of Jonah, mm-hmm. where Jonah goes, he preaches the gospel and they all repent and convert. Right. And they're spared because of that, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so uh, when Satan is at work and evil moves through somebody, that evil will be judged. Mm-hmm. The judgment of the evil can come about through destruction or it can come about through repentance. If somebody is opposed to God and they repent and turn towards God, that evil has been judged in them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's good. And so if Sodom would have turned, that still is the judgment of God. Mm, mm-hmm. The judgment of God comes upon them. If they don't, well, guess what? This is God's world. It's his kingdom. The judgment's going to come one way or another. Yeah. It doesn't have to be fire and brimstone from heaven, but... It, it will be mm. without this kind of repentance. Mm-hmm. But here you actually see Abimelech do this. You're going to see this um, uh, in, in the book of Daniel. There's a strange story about Nebuchadnezzar being converted. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar's wicked and he's treating God's people wickedly. And yet 
repentance is offered to Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. And at least momentarily he seizes that and he turns and the kingdom turns, right? Um, and so this is this is the judgment of God that that repentance is always on the table. Mm-hmm. And that is ultimately what God wants. That's why his mission through Israel is to bless the nations. Mm-hmm. But sin will be condemned and the blood does cry out from the ground. Absolutely. And so um, the, the judgment of God manifests itself in those different ways. Uh, when, when, uh, when we kind of look at the way that it seems like the serpent, that Satan is working through the story, he's working to destroy the seed, mm-hmm. like we talked about. And you can kind of see this. So like when Satan thinks Lot is the seed, they start to bicker. Yeah. And then Lot is separated yeah. from Abraham. Almost like Satan got in there mm-hmm. and caused that kind of discord or at sure. least facilitated it. When Satan thinks Ishmael is the seed mm-hmm. and Hagar's pregnant, what yeah. happens with Hagar? He turns Hagar against Sarah and yeah. Abraham. Yeah. When Hagar flees yeah. with what Satan thinks is the seed. Yeah. Uh, now the seed's going to come through Sarah and there's a timeline on the table. So here... Uh, Satan through Abimelech tries to get Sarah pregnant by another man, mm. right? Uh, this is the importance of seeing the spirit aspect of our hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. From the moment that the, certain, the, the serpent enters the scene, he's not gone. Mm-hmm. He's, he's here and he's moving and he's moving against the intentions and the will of God and he's moving against salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, here, at least at this point in the story, the way that sa- what Satan is focused on is the the righteous seed that will bring salvation to the world. Mm-hmm. And you see the way that, that the enmity happens between the woman. It keeps being Sarah who gets attacked. Mm-hmm. And the enmity happens between the serpent and the seed because the seed is what the serpent is trying to prevent. Yeah. And so that Genesis prophecy is happening, you know, all through all through these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other themes of this is conversion of the Gentiles. Yeah. So, you know, the, one of the reasons I, I am uh, intense about biblical theology is because you will hear people say things like the idea that the Gentiles could be converted to God only happens after Jesus. Yeah. And they'll read the stories of Acts like the, the Jews didn't know that that was possible. Mm. Uh, and really what's going on in Acts is they don't know what to do about the law. Yeah. Right? Like they're not, in that moment of history, they weren't supposed to touch the Gentiles. They weren't supposed to come in contact with them because they're evil and they worship other gods. And so how now do they come in and do they have to do this? It's very procedural. Yeah, it was like, so then what should they do once they've repented? We get that they right. repented. We right. get that they're, you know, grafted in. But then how do they act? Right. Was the main question of a lot of the Paul's letters. And, and the the sequence of it, because um, what, what was kind of what kind of gets laid out is that Israel will be who is who at that time in the New Testament is is under oppression. They'll mm. be saved. Then the Gentiles will be saved. Mm. What we start to see is that a lot of Israel isn't saved. It's offered to them. They don't. They don't take it. They don't take it. Paul seems to have much better luck with these pagans. Yeah. Right. So there's there's an issue with sequence and there's an issue with mm-hmm. procedure in the New Testament, but. But if you think that conversion of the Gentiles is a new thing in the New Testament, it's only because you've never read the Old Testament. Yeah, we're only 20 chapters into a very large testament. Exactly. And you already see it here specifically. And, and we've seen it before. We'll see. And we've, we've already seen it before. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like we said, 
you know, God gives Pharaoh 10 chances to repent. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Assyria is converted through Jonah. Nebuchadnezzar is converted through Daniel. You, you know what's interesting? Here, Abimelech, how does he come to fear God? Mm. His, his dream. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Why is Pilate hesitant to, to put Jesus on the cross? His wife has a dream. Yeah. That is an offer from uh-huh. God uh-huh. of repentance. So even in the climactic moment of redemptive history, repentance is available through a miraculous dream. Yeah. Right? And so this has been the way that God moves the whole time. And it's always what he's wanted. And it goes all the way back to the promise of Abraham because the promise has always been redemption of the nations, Mm -hmm. redemption of the Gentiles Mm -hmm. through the blessed nation of Israel. And so we we see this here in in, uh, specificity. The other thing that I just want to run through quickly is this is the second Exodus that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, Actually kind of the third with, with Noah. Sure. And all of these are prototypes, foreshadowings of the Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. But the Exodus has a pattern. And so we're going to we're going to walk through that pattern real quick before we end. And so we see this here and I'll and I'll draw some parallels. So in the Exodus pattern, some circumstance drives the righteous away from Eden, away from the promised land. Mm-hmm. Here it's the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? right? So Abraham leaves. Then a shadowy and unrighteous figure attacks the woman from whom the seed is promised. Mm. So here it's Abimelech attacking Sarah. Earlier it was Pharaoh attacking Sarah. Sure. In the Exodus, it's going to be Pharaoh attacking uh, the women by killing their babies. Yeah. Right. And then the tyrant is somewhat deceived by the righteous. And so if you remember in the Exodus story, the midwives deceive Pharaoh. Yes. And they yeah. keep delivering the babies. And they just say like, these Israelite women, they're just, they, they deliver too fast. We can't yeah, take the babies we can't and kill get them. Uh, and so here it's that Abraham and Sarah are somewhat deceiving Abimelech by, mm-hmm. by with the whole brother sister thing. And then there's a miraculous intervention. So God speaks to Abimelech here and mm-hmm. the plagues come and wombs are closed. Mm-hmm. And so Moses speaks to Pharaoh uh, in the Exodus and uh, then plagues come. Yeah. It's miraculous intervention. Uh, then the serpent tries to blame the righteous. And so here Abimelech blames Abraham. Later, we're going to see Laban blame Jacob. Mm-hmm. Pharaoh's going to blame Moses. And so this, this kind of thing always happens. This mm-hmm. is what the unrighteous do. And then there's a humiliation of the false gods. Mm-hmm. And so here in this vision, Abimelech's gods are so badly humiliated that he converts to worship Yahweh. Yeah. Right. So the gods that he has always worshiped, the gods of his nation, he casts aside. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, when Jacob is sort of battling Laban, uh, Laban's household gods are humiliated mm-hmm. in this, in this very interesting scene. And then in the Exodus, you know, the sun is darkened and the Nile is turned to blood and the livestock and the crops, which represent fertility are attacked. And those are all gods of, of Egypt. Yeah. And so the plagues are direct attacks on those gods. And so then there are spoils upon deliverance. And so here Abimelech gives spoils, goats and cattle and slaves and silver. And when Abraham left Egypt with spoils earlier, and then Israel is going to leave Egypt with spoils in the Exodus. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so I, I do think that it's clear when we compare like this, that this isn't, this is another Exodus. It's another precursor yeah. of the Exodus of Moses and Israel later. And it's a precursor of the new Exodus. that's going to happen through Christ. Mm-hmm. So part of reading the Bible is 
stacking these stories on top of each other and, and filling out the mosaic of salvation in the way that God works. So that then when we read about Jesus, we see how that fulfills or fills full all of those things that we've seen before. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the beauty of redemption that we as the church have, oftentimes we don't see it Mm -hmm. because we don't see what it fulfills. We mm-hmm. don't see what came before it. Mm-hmm. We don't see the 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 shadow of it. And so uh, it's not quite as shocking to us as it should be, mm-hmm. right? But what what happens with Christ on the cross and what we as Christians are beneficiaries of is um, exactly what has been laid out in advance in these stories that we've been reading. Mm-hmm. And so here's another Exodus. Abraham and Sarah delivered from Abimelech and the Philistines. And now he's gonna settle in the land and uh, we will continue with the story next week. Yeah. Got anything else? That's why it's important to read the Old Testament. Yeah, very important. Mm. Um, all right, well, well uh, thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week on Story Simple Spirit. <laughs>